And so the first step in my life was really recognizing, because I resisted this for the you know, first 25 years of my life, it was creating schedules and routines and habits because within that, then I can be creative. And you know, the, the example for this, when I talk about creativity, a lot of times people think I'm talking about painting or writing or singing or playing a musical instrument. And that's artistic creativity. That's not what I'm talking about here. Like creativity for me is the ability to take two or more pieces of disconnected information and apply them together in new novel functional ways. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cash Flow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cash Flow. Today I've got the one, the only Anthony Vecino. What is up, my brother? The man, the Minotaur. The wait, how's that? What's that thing? <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. I'm a Minotaur. No, I'm good. I'm doing good. We're having a playful little afternoon here. So, <laughs> oh my goodness, a little slappy to to say the least. But uh, you know, so usually I go into the intro here, but this guy's got so many weird, different things going on. He he personally owns with his with his girlfriend two cats. He is a real estate investor, best-selling author. And, oh, I didn't. So I didn't see yeah, that. No, I, didn't and a dog. Know, yeah. I didn't even know about the dog. Top secret. Best-selling yeah. <laughs> best author, former professional rock climber and chess champion. So dude, like you got stuff all over the place. You've been in businesses, you've scaled businesses, you've failed businesses. I mean, what do you have that you're working on right now? I guess you just had something tremendous happen yesterday. So yeah. So the, I mean, I work on a couple of different things. So yesterday we just closed on a 55 unit multifamily asset up here in Minneapolis. And I mean, that's, that's the main gig that we focus on right now is multifamily acquisitions. We're vertically integrated. So we're doing all the tenant management ourselves and that keeps us pretty busy as we're kind of just building a thriving company and then yeah we have another closing in two weeks so it's a it's a busy time we've got a book coming out next month and then you and i we're we're doing all sorts of magical things trying to help people avoid some of the mistakes that we've made in building businesses so uh, we have the build a business challenge, which is a lot of fun. I don't know if it's fun for everybody else, but we're having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I hope the the cohort is enjoying as much as we are because uh, exactly. we, 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 we try to have some fun with it. And, you know, obviously Anthony and I know each other very well. So obviously very excited to have you on the show, but no, the, the build a business challenge is tremendous. And, you know, I know that I continue to make mistakes on a daily basis. So you know, hopefully we can bestow some of that, just some of the mistakes I've made upon our, our cohorts. So, um, and, and the really important thing there too, is like, as we're teaching these things, it's also reiterating it for ourselves. So it's like, oh yeah, we do need to get a little bit more clear on our avatar and our value proposition. Like it, it you can, you never master business is the thing, right? Like you have maybe some bouts where you're successful, maybe you have a good exit, but most of the time in business, you're getting your, your teeth kicked in and you're just like, always feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, am I doing any of this right? That's, I think the life of an entrepreneur is constantly questioning, am I doing this right? 
Well, and the best part is when you get your friends in the room and you show them what you've done and they can tell you how wrong you've done it. Like, <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's yeah. the best part. <laughs> yeah, friends friends and family are the best for, for pointing out exactly how you've messed up. You're like, you couldn't have told me this beforehand? Like, where were you? They're like, oh no, we were. I, we tell you, tell you, you know, building a business is steep and dangerous. That's why you should stay in your W-2. <laughs> but then you look at it and it's like, oh, I can take a nap in the afternoon. So that, there's one perk of being an entrepreneur. <laughs> And, and your cat, you know, I mean, I've seen your cat plenty of times, you know, late afternoon that's been sitting in your lap and, you know, he's, he's a, he's a wild man. So he is a wild, wild, you might hear him yelling at the door at some point, but like, you know, to the, to the theme of this podcast, contrarian cash flow, it's like creating a lifestyle by design and like having the freedom to do what you want, when you want, you know, where you want to do it. And that's, I think then the, the most powerful thing about the the tracks that I've chosen in life, at least through entrepreneurship and real estate investing is like, Having that time freedom, it's invaluable. Like time is your most valuable currency. Yeah. I was trying to pursue the same things, but then I got married and had kids. So, you know, it kind of, kind of <laughs> kids like, I don't have any kids, so I can't say this for certain, but I'm pretty sure they make everything harder. <laughs> no, it, it, maybe you know, more fun, I mean, but harder. No, <laughs> Hard's not bad. Right, right. One, no, of, one of my most um, valuable mentors I ever had, he was this old school rock climbing guy who has all these records for having scaled all these cliffs and he had a catchphrase which was do hard things just do hard things and I, I, that's always stuck with me as like not the worst life advice ever if you want to get ahead just do hard things well and the ironic thing about that is how much i've learned from my kids about mm-hmm. how resilient and and strong they are right you know and i think this is something that i talk about often is just as we grow older and become adults, we almost get weaker, right? You know, we, 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 we lean into our excuses, but when we're children, we don't, we're, we're not, we don't have our wits about us yet to know what excuses we should be using as crutches. And so it's just, it's amazing to see them and what they pushed through, especially over the last year or so with, with the pandemic and everything and just how resilient they were, right? Parents were freaking out, you know, having issues with this, that, and the other. And they just went on like, Hey, you know, this is what I'm being asked to do. It's for the betterment of everyone. Let's just follow through. And so, you know, they're just, it, it's awesome having them around. Like I said, I was just mm-hmm. joking right there, but they, they it, do take up a lot of time. They, they you know, they aren't, yeah. they aren't set it and forget it. They're no, they're no passive parenting. Uh, you know, if you want to have your kids turn out all uh, right. Exactly. And, and that just reminds me of like the concept that the, the, the rigid board breaks, you know, it's like the willow can stand the storm because it's flexible. It can go with the flow and children are great with that. Like you could throw anything at them. They don't care. They're like jumping in puddles with socks on, man. If my sock gets even like a little bit wet, like I lose my life. Like I, I'm just done. And so as we get older, we get more rigid and set into our ways. And I think there's something to be said about surrounding yourself with kids and seeing like the other side of the coin, just how valuable it, there, how much value there is in flexibility and resilience. Totally. There's so many lessons we can learn from both sides, right? Elders and juveniles and everybody. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, within that, let's kind of get into your story a little bit. So, I mean, I, like I said, I mean, you have such a diverse background and I think it's so compelling and you've, you've touched on so many things within business and within life and, and focus obviously has been a big focus of your life, but yeah. How did you kind of get your start and, and what was this beginning of this journey like for Anthony Vecino? So, the, yeah, I think you alluded to it there. I, I have ADHD, like pretty severe uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's something that I've always struggled with as a kid. It was like a really defining trait because I lacked focus. I lacked clarity. I lacked disciplines. And, and those are like really important traits to have if you want to succeed in business or in relationships or just like in life, right? And so coming out of college, 
I was at this road at this crossroad of opportunity. And you could look at it and say, well, I have these degrees. I should go into the corporate workforce and put these to use. But I was a really bad employee. I was getting fired all the time. So like that wasn't super great for me. And for at the end of the day, like I mentioned before, like I value time freedom and the ability to do what I want when I want and not have people tell me what to do. So at that time, I wasn't entrepreneurial. I, I wasn't the kid who would like pluck flowers out of the neighbor's yard and sell them back to the, the neighbor. Like that was never me. I don't like selling things. I'm not good at it. And so coming out of college, I, I went and started rock climbing and that led into writing science fiction and fantasy stories. And that's kind of a convoluted story. But at a certain point in my life, um, the universe just conspired to put entrepreneurship in front of me when a buddy just came to me one day and said, hey, let's build a business together. And I was like, open to the opportunity. Why not? Let's try it. Like being young and dumb is maybe one of the more valuable traits you can have when you're young. So use it. And so we built a business and I realized that a lot of the things that I had had to figure out in my own personal journey to like maximize my potential and not just be a chaotic mess of like, distraction all the time. A lot of those traits that I learned, those habits and rituals, they were actually incredibly helpful for building businesses. And once I started implementing those into the businesses, those started to do really well. And so I kind of just happened to find that I had this innate ability for building businesses, marketing, operations, and I got really passionate about that. So spent the last decade or so building businesses. And then that led into real estate because real estate at the end of the day is just another type of business. Like we call it, we call it something different. We call it real estate, but at, at its core, it's just operational business. And so that's what I do now. And so between trying to help people invest in real estate and then also help people invest in themselves and try to overcome a lot of the same things that I overcame in terms of distraction, because whether or not you have ADHD, everybody struggles struggles with focus, with their attention and where to put it and how to put it there. And so I, I spend a lot of time these days trying to just share my thoughts and uh, insights of what's worked and what hasn't worked for me there. And it's been a lot of fun so far. I mean, there's just so much there. So <clears throat> I kind of want to dig into the the focus piece of it, right? So you said a buddy came to you and said, hey, you know, let's start a business. And so I feel like there's two schools of thought, right? Either you need to be laser focused or you need to be laser you know, looking at everything and anything, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. And so, because, you know, I, you know, I get, think the argument psychologically is if you're not focused, you're a little bit more creative when you're focused, you're a little bit more static and, you know, kind of color by numbers. So how did somebody with severe ADHD, you know, build this knack to, to build businesses, right? Cause there's just so many moving parts and there's so many rabbit holes that you can go down. So are there any tools or tips or tricks that allowed you to kind of focus on, you know, building these, these bigger complex ideas and businesses? Yeah. You know, it's counterintuitive, but structure actually creates the opportunity for creativity. Like by creating the, the confines, the rigidity around yourself and saying, these are the rules by which you're going to play. Now, you know how to play and you can uh, express your creativity within that domain. And that's, that's counterintuitive because a lot of people think like, well, I don't want any rigidity. I, I want, ultimate flexibility. And all that leads to is infinite potentiality. When there's infinite potentiality, you are stuck with an innumerable number of decisions to make. And then generally what happens is you make subpar decisions or no decisions. And so the first step in my life was really recognizing, because I resisted this for the you know first 25 years of my life, 
It was creating schedules and routines and habits because within that, then I can be creative. And you know, the, the example for this, when I talk about creativity, a lot of times people think I'm talking about painting or writing or singing or playing a musical instrument. And that's artistic creativity. That's not what I'm talking about here. Like creativity for me is the ability to take two or more pieces of disconnected information and apply them together in new novel functional ways, right? And if you think about what skills you need to have to succeed in business or just in your W-2 job, like IBM did a study of CEOs asking what's the number one skill set that is needed in the modern workforce? The answer was creativity. Like the ability to generate new novel functional ideas is a superpower. But it's hard to do that when you just don't have a frame of reference. So we have to first create a box. And if I was to ask you like, hey, tell me a story, you'd probably look at me like I have to pause a little bit. But if I was like, hey, tell me the story of the first, like your happiest, your best birthday. Tell me the, your happiest birthday story. Or tell me about the, the holding your child for the first time. You'd be like, oh, boom, you're locked in. And now when you're telling that story, you can tell it creatively. Whereas before you were just trying to pull. And that's the thing when you're, building a business in those early days is you do need to create a little bit of focus. Like I'm not saying that you need to go all in on just one business, but you need to curate some structure so that you are actually moving the levers that need to get moved when they need to get moved. I thought you were going to say, use the French revolution as, uh, <laughs> as the story, as the story prompt, uh, as, uh, <laughs> as we so eloquently stated uh, multiple times in our, in our business challenge. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it was so, so top we got locked into it. <laughs> But I think that's so interesting about the structure dynamic with creativity. And, you know, I think, I think that's a struggle for people that are trying to find purpose and identity in, in, you know, in fulfillment overall in their life, right? You know, they think, hey, if I have a W-2, I can't feel a certain way. Or if I'm an entrepreneur, I have to feel a certain way. And I think so many times we need to kind of decide the outcomes and look to the outcomes, right? Which are ultimately going to be the structure. And then there's so many different ways that we can weave into getting to that particular outcome, right? And I think that's just such a such an eloquent way of putting it. Obviously, from a linguist and an author, you know, I can tell why why you've uh, been able to accomplish those those feats. So you know the other side of that too is too much structure. And this is this goes to the people who are stuck in their W2 where they go in and it's always the same thing and they don't get to express themselves. They don't get to be creative and they And then they start to die slowly on the inside. And they're like, I hate what I do. I have no passion. I'm not connected to it. But they keep doing it because they value stability. And that structure, once you have been put inside that box, it's very, very scary to step outside that box. It's terrifying, in fact, because you've lived for so long with that safety, that the illusion of safety of those walls around you, you know? And so you have one of two choices. Either you willingly step outside that box at some point and you take on the scary horde of imaginary monsters that are lurking beyond the walls or you wait until your boss does it for you those are really the only two scenarios where you know you either eventually leave on your own accord and that could be because of retirement or because your boss and your company says we need that box back to put somebody else into it and you can go now and now you're out in the in the boonies uh, against your will and that's scary too well, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy, right? When you say, you know, you need structure, but not too much structure, right? So it's almost like this 80-20 principle where, you know, more often than not, you need to do a certain function and, and choose a certain path. But if you do it all the time, then it's also going to paralyze you and, and keep you from, from maximizing that potential. So, I mean, you talked about the rock climbing and then that turned into becoming a, a best-selling author. So, where did the where did the writing come from? And you know, kind of kind of give us a little bit more background on on how that part came about. 
Yeah, that was a weird transition, I guess. Uh, so like rewinding back to when I was a kid, my dad just recognized I had a, an, an innate aptitude for telling stories and writing in particular, which was interesting to me because I had no context. I didn't think when you're a kid, you're like, I don't know, like, tell me I'm good. I guess I'm good. Right. You believe what your parents tell you. And my dad had never really told me I was good at too much else. And so when he said that, I was like, oh, I must be really good at this. And he was buying me books for my birthday. Um, like one of my most, if you were to ask me, like, what's your most memorable birthday? Present? When I was like 14, he bought me On Writing by Stephen King. And I remember it, it being memorable because at the time I was like, what is this garbage? What, what is this? A book on writing? Why, why would you give me this? I don't care. But at that point, he was paying me to write him short stories. He was like, hey, just write me short stories. I'll pay you 10 cents per word. And then you sign over the rights to those stories to me. And so he owns the rights to all my like earliest stories with the, with the theory that someday I would be like big and famous and that doesn't be worth a lot of money, right? Like that's the theory and it probably won't play out that way. But he was instilling this thing in me very early and he was uh, encouraging me to do it by monetizing it, which was actually a pretty effective strategy. But more effective was just him expressing the belief that he thought I could do that thing. And so then many, 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 many years later, I was engaged to a woman and she decided to break off our engagement. And I suddenly found myself in a, in a situation where I needed to find some other way through life. And at that point, I was like, writing, writing is the way out, I guess. I don't know why, but it was just like this, this thought in my head of like, well, my dad thought I could do it surely if he thinks I can do it, then I can do it. Cause my dad's kind of a hard ass, like military guy. And, and I always had in my head, like, if he thinks I can do it, then surely I can do it. And so I started writing and never even doubted that I could. And that is actually really freeing because I think a lot of times when we're creating, we always wonder like, is this good enough? And I never had that fear or it didn't stop me from putting out the content, which was necessary. Cause in the early days I was very bad. That's the key. Like you suck and you have to have enough arrogance to keep pushing forward despite how much you suck. And so I had enough arrogance, but I also had enough humility to recognize that I wasn't very good. And so I put in a lot of work over the course of a handful of years. And that led to a pretty pretty solid career having written science fiction and fantasy stuff. But then I started getting bored with that. I'm not bored, but it was lacking like the fulfillment because escapism and entertainment is really important. People need that. But I wanted to connect on a deeper level. I wanted to have stories or share words that were having a meaningful impact on people's lives beyond just the characters in the book. And so I started looking outside of writing science fiction and fantasy for other ways to to write and share. And that's when I started writing nonfiction and writing around personal development and, and hyper-focus and how to uh, build businesses. Like those are, you know, it's all storytelling at the end of the day, but the stories now they can change people's lives. And that's, that's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I mean, I, I'm just always jealous because I've never been a very good writer, right? You know, I'm a salesperson. I could do kind of the narrative storytelling, but as far as writing anything, you know, I can barely write a solid email, let alone, you know, a, a, a novel or anything of that. Sort. I think you're but... selling yourself short there. I've seen your LinkedIn <laughs> posts. They're good. <laughs> well, except that guy that blasted me the other day because he was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, this, is, yeah. this is garbage. Like, you know, you that can't guy... even put a, <laughs> phonetically put a sentence together. And I'm like, dude, like, it is what it is. Like, I'm just trying to write to, for the audience. So it ended up doing pretty well. So, you know, what, it, what is he now? What exactly? And those, those people, I ended up, I don't know if you saw it, but the next day I, I did a video and, and posted content because about that, that very situation and how most people don't put themselves out there and share the thoughts or the, the things that are inside of them that could transform the world. Because there are people like that, a very small minority of people who will say, that's stupid. You're dumb. 
And that stops most people from ever stepping out. And that's such a shame because uh, yes, the world is full of trolls, but they don't have the power to change the world. And you do, if you just ignore them and don't let them stop you. Oh, Anthony, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. I'm going to go Boom, put a post out up. there right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but I mean, your point's so valid. And I think that's, you know, again, like that's what's stopping so many people from getting started is just that fear of, you know, are people going to judge me or is this not going to perform as well? And honestly, just getting started in the consistency is really what's going to lead to the success, right? You're going to have good posts. You're going to have bad posts. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to write, you know, a good book. You're going to have to revise a book. You're going to, you know, it's just, it's just a constant struggle of, you know, not necessarily good and evil, but, you know, aptitude and then lack of aptitude, right? You're going to, you're going to have good and bad. And I think that's just so important, but the one point about the books, and I know I love that you kind of transitioned more into to more of the impactful side, but the thing about the books that's nice that I don't think as many people are familiar with is the residual income and mm-hmm. the fact that you continue to make money today off those books. So, so, so what, what are the royalties like, or, or what's that really like? You've written those books years ago, but you still continue mm-hmm. to create some semblance of income from those. So, so what is that actually like? Well, that's actually really a, a fantastic point is when I started writing, like at that point in my life, I had been trading my time for money. I'd been working as a rock climber. And once you stop rock climbing, you're not making money anymore. Like you got to climb the rocks, baby. And I was like, no, I need something that scales. I need something that's working for me constantly. And books were such an obvious way because I love books. I, my, my office is surrounded by books and I look at them and like that book was written in 1962 and that book was written in like 1848. And it's like, these books are timeless. They're around forever and they're constantly generating income. And with the advent of Amazon, like my, my rise in publishing corresponded with the rise of self-publishing. So I caught the wave at the perfect time when Amazon came along and got rid of the gatekeepers, made it really accessible. And the only thing holding you back now was your diligence and consistency. You didn't even have to have great quality at that point. Just put out the content long enough and the fight, the people are going to find you like 50 shades of gray sold a billion copies. That is not a good, well-written book. So you can do really, really well. And the thing is like, those books are around forever and they're constantly making you money. I don't, I don't advertise my science fiction and fantasy anymore, but each month they still keep generating income for me. And it's less than it was a year ago and less than two years ago. And it'll probably keep trickling downward unless I do something to like bring it back to life, but it's still generating income. And at one point in my life, I would write a book and it would make me tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands over the course of the next three years. And it's like, I could, for every book I would write, I would pretty much say, okay, well, that is $100,000 over the next 10 years that is just going to keep coming in. Like, and it's it's really hard to complain about that, so. Well, and, and that's why both of us are so big on digital courses or assets, you know, mm-hmm. akin to a book, something that is evergreen to some extent, right? You know, and like you said, I mean, so <clears throat> those books may be more fantasy and, you know, fiction, but- you know, still it serves a purpose, right? And still it's mm-hmm. a way for people to connect or, or, you know, transform to another world or whatever the case is to kind of keep them occupied. And so I think that's just such a big point is that when you have and create these different books or courses or things that are evergreen that can kind of be out there, they continue. And both of us obviously are going more down the digital side on a lot of these courses, but I think they're mm-hmm. so, so important to put things like that out there that just can continue to create you income. And then you're, 
it, it's kind of opposite of most investments, right? You know, you kind of make a little yep. bit at the beginning and then you make more as the investment goes on, you know, kind of compounding. And the compounding is almost the opposite for these courses or these products that you've created because you put in a ton of effort at the beginning and your return isn't that great. But then over time, your yep. return on effort just continues to grow and grow and grow. And right, depending on how you feather these into your personal brand or business or whatever the case is. And I think that's what both of us are trying to do right now is find synergies within the courses, within coaching, within mm-hmm. our different service offerings so that they're all kind of this ecosystem that, you know, the value chain, right. That everybody talks about, right. That the customers can come in and go on this journey with us of different products that'll take them to different results and successes. Yeah. And, and what you're mentioning there about like each new course or product that you put out there, here's the really interesting thing about publishing novels was every book I would publish the back catalog would also rise with it. And so let's say I had five books already out there. When I go to publish that six, those previous five, they would also see a boost in sales across the whole portfolio. And so it's like, that's a, that's a really great business model when for every new product you're putting out there, the rest of the catalog is also getting a boost. It's creating new opportunities for people to find you. And honestly, like the only thing, uh, to your point about the evergreen content, the only reason that these books, the sales are slowing is because I'm not pushing them anymore because I'm trying to pivot my brand towards, you know, a different area. So I'm not focused on the marketing, but if I was to turn that marketing engine back on, there'd be nothing stopping it from making sales again because the stories are timeless. They're not dependent on 2012 or 2008. Like they're, they're stories that somebody right now goes, oh, I'll, I'll read that. And that's a great thing about evergreen content. Absolutely. And I mean, and I just think it's so cool that you have all these different, you know, arms kind of in different different areas, right? You've got your hyper-focus personal brand and courses, and then you've got your your writing, your books, and then obviously the real estate is a big part of it. And, you know, we didn't even talk about your, your business ventures yet as well. But <laughs> the, the, the thing about the real estate side that I, that I respect about you so much is that you guys are vertically integrated and, and you guys kind of are a one-stop shop, right? And I think within mm-hmm. real estate, at least from my perspective, and I know I'm more cynical than most, but, you know, most people right now are kind of gravitating more towards the capital raising side, right? You know, they're like, hey, I want to be a multifamily investor. And so that means they raise whatever, $100,000, $300,000 from friends and family. And now they're all of a sudden, they're the next Grant Cardone. But kind of explain to the audience why you guys decided to go down a little bit of a different path and work on actually building out, you know, a vertically integrated business that, that spreads the gamut, not just from the acquisition side, but all the way through the operations and management. So one of our core theses is that I have in just in business in general, and I have a manufacturing business, or we implemented this over the last seven years, which is whoever is closest to the consumer wins. End of, end of story. The more middle people that there are in the equation, the more uh, vulnerable you are to their whims, to their pricing, to their changes, to the supply chain. If you can control as many different aspects of the end user's experience, then you ultimately have power. And for us, when we started Invictus, capital, we, we came into it and sa- said, well, there's a couple of different customers at the end of the day that we serve. We serve our residents and we serve our investors. And like you pointed out, a lot of people want to get into syndication and be capital raisers. They think it's a really great, easy way to make a ton of money, but it really doesn't at the end of the day, because you're always at the, at the whim of the person who controls the deal. If they change the terms and your split gets a little bit less and you're never really generating a ton of money anyways per deal, you're getting a little sliver of equity. And so for us, by controlling as much of the deal as possible and outsourcing very little, 
we can generate better returns for ourselves and for our investors with less people involved in the equation. And usually where people are added into the equation, complexity just goes through the roof for every new human. So if we can keep how many groups are involved to a minimum, then we can serve our residents better. We're no longer relying on third-party property management to care about our properties or in the same way that we would or to you know do right by our residents or if we're relying on a capital raisers we're no longer at their mercy of whether or not they actually come through so what it does is it creates a lot more work on the front end because we have to build the systems that can justify having employees in each one of these seats but on the long term on the long horizon it ends up there becomes an inflection point where it goes from being a drag and very very difficult it's like a plane getting off the ground like on the runway, they're moving very, very slowly. But then once they get that inflection point, the wind is suddenly at their back and they're expending very little energy to, to maintain that speed. And now we're overtaking the competition. And that's that's really, that's been our game plan from the beginning because there's only ever one of two times to hire or to you know build out an internal system. It's either too soon or too late. <laughs> like There's never like the perfect right time to hire somebody. It's either too soon or too late. And so we said, well, let's, let's not pay that opportunity cost of waiting too long. Let's just do it up front, build this the hard way from the beginning. And we're starting already to like within, you know, the first three years of us being in business as an entity, um, starting to already realize those efficiencies. Well, it seems like a common theme, right? You know, put in the, put in all the effort and work on the front end, you know, similar to writing those books, right? You have to put in the effort to write those books put in the effort to actually build out and scale some of these systems within your business, knowing that the short-term ramifications will be lesser returns or more, more time invested, but kind of ultimately trying to become less reliant upon others for, for really anything. Right. And I think that's ultimately how you get to freedom. Right. You know, and I think one of the things you touched upon early on was how important time freedom is to you. Right. And being able to control the structure of your day, of course, it doesn't work that way every day. Right. You know, when you have lenders Mm -hmm. fall through and and crazy scenarios here and there, But the more work that you put in on the front end, and I think that's what's so critical for people to understand, is the more work you put in on the front end, the clearer you define what you want as an outcome, the faster and the easier it will be to get to that end result, right? It won't be a smooth path. It won't be a straight path. But you guys had this idea from the beginning of, hey, we want to put in this effort on the front end. So ultimately, we get to a point where we're kind of just more the puppeteer from above saying, okay, we're going to do this, that, and the other, right? And so for Mm -hmm. folks that don't know, vertically integrated, what we're meaning by that is, you know, they're, they're a one-stop shop, right? They do the property management, they do the capital raising, they do the acquisition side. So they're really running this business soup to nuts, right? They're not really relying on partners, be it for capital or for the management and things like that. And the other benefit to that is obviously they're saving a lot of money, right? You know, mm-hmm. when, instead of having to outsource property management and depending on the size of the property, you know, whatever it is, three to 10%, depending on where you are and in how much you're outsourcing, right? They're able to run that through their business itself. Right. So that already makes them more competitive, but it's not hurting them at all. Right. You know, ultimately against their competition. So they may be able to get more aggressive or they may be able to juice the returns versus somebody else because they're doing something in a different, I guess, contrarian manner. Right. (laughs) Most most people aren't, most people aren't going down the the, uh, vertical integration. Because it's, it's hard and it's time consuming. And again, you have to deal with people, but it's like, you know, for on the manufacturing side, that was a very, very difficult, complex business to build out. And all of our comp- our competitors, they were effectively utilizing a drop shipping model where they would design the product and then they would outsource it to one of three 
production facilities in the world. And then that production facility would create the product and distribute it to the customers. And we said, okay, let's turn this on its head. Let's control every aspect. Let's build our own production facility. Let's also design our products and let's also go direct to consumer. And so it was really, really difficult, but slowly but surely we started to to build this thing that was completely unique within the marketplace because we were controlling every aspect of what we were doing. And we weren't at the whims of the product of like the manufacturers or the suppliers overseas. And so in 2020, when things really got kind of difficult on the supply chain side of things, we thrived. Like we went 5X over our competitors because like we had everything in house and we weren't at the whim. And that's just like a perfect example of like, sometimes doing the hard thing is the hard thing, but it's worth it in the long run. If you're, if you're willing to be patient and recognize that you're not going to grow at gangbuster speeds because you don't want that. You'll, you'll break. You need to grow in a slow measured way. One, obviously, again, you've done this over and over again, right? So you've really created a system for yourself or within the businesses that that you reside within, you know, that that mm-hmm. that build out these structures. And, and that's why I'm really excited for when your hyper focus course comes out. I really think there's gonna be a lot of a lot of value coming from that. So I know one thing you're struggling with right now, and I know I'm kind of going through the same issue as well, is when you have these different interests, when you have these different businesses, when you have these different areas of expertise how do you really kind of present that to the world? You, you know, yeah. so, I mean, you've obviously got your Anthony Vecino, you've got your Invictus multifamily on the real estate side, you've got the the rock climbing manufacturing business, and, and obviously you're also an author, right? And, and not to mention a coach for, for Jake and Gino on the real estate side as well. So how do you really try to portray who you are and what you do to the world right now with having so many different varied interests? It's super hard. I'll be honest. I think it comes down to prioritization and trying to recognize that there's a time and a season for everything. And you have to figure out what's the time and the season that you're in. And for us, we're in a growth phase in Invictus. So that's a really obvious thing of like, okay, let's grow this because we want to hit a certain scale because that's when efficiencies really get realized. But then on the personal side, like I find it really fulfilling to talk about personal development and mindset and, you know, how to build businesses and sharing that insight. So it's like, how do you juggle these, these, what can feel like seemingly disparate topics? I think at the end of the day, you have to do what doesn't always make the most financial or business sense. If that makes, if that resonates, like the, the most financially lucrative or the most intelligent thing to do from a business building perspective would be go all in on one thing and focus everything there. But like Elon Musk isn't doing that and it's not hurting him too much. And so like, if you were to say like, how does Elon Musk present himself to the world? It's interesting. I don't think he cares, you know? And, and that's kind of, it's, that's where I come back to at times is like, you know what, the people that are going to resonate with what I'm doing, they're going to find us because I'm putting myself out there and I'm putting out the content and I'm sharing and like, because I'm not letting those trolls like intimidate and scare, like I'm, I'm too arrogant to care and I'm just putting out the content anyway. And so trusting that the universe is going to bring the right people into our sphere, regardless, might not be the most exact methodology, but it's working for me. And it gives me the, it gives me the sense that every day is new and exciting and I can work on what I want. You know, the whole idea of like lifestyle design and being able to work on what you want when you want is not just being locked into the one thing all the time. No, I love that. And I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it's so challenging to kind of, like you said, bring these disparate 
ideas, methodologies, expertise together, right? And have this concise message because they're just, it's convoluted, right? They're just not, they're, they're very dissimilar, especially when you, you know, ultimately they're business, but, you know, writing a book versus running a real estate property versus a manufacturing business. I mean, they're just, there's a lot of nuances that are, that are independent of one another between those. But the point that you talk about so much is that lifestyle design, right? And I think that's what so many people get caught up on is the outcome, right? I want to be a real estate investor because I want the respect of my peers, or I want the ego of being able to say, I'm a real estate investor. I want financial independence, but is that really the best way to get there, right? You know, and and what are you willing to sacrifice to your point about putting in the effort on the front end? I think so many people are shooting for the outcome and desiring the outcome with really, without really understanding how they can get there. Because there's so many paths to get to a result. And there's some that are much faster than others, right? And I think so many people are just picking their result that they want and say, this is going to get me to the outcome. But ultimately, they're not looking, you know, not seeing the forest through the trees. And, you know, I think that's kind of the fun thing for, for both of us, what we're doing is we just have so many different passions and desires. And mm-hmm. it's fun and exciting to try different things, right? You're doing something, you know, you're talking about rock climbing or you're manufacturing something and then you're buying, you know, you're switching lenders or, you know, now we're working on this business course and different things. And for me, that kind of is what keeps it exciting and interesting, right? You know, I'm not just focused on one thing and we're just kind of, you know, ultimately they all are under the, you know, kind of the, the dome of business holistically and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of creating that lifestyle and cash flow and, and income streams and sources, but it is really challenging. But, you, you know, I think, for me, I always come back to this is like the two things that I am, like, if you were to ask me at my core, who are you? What do you do? I I'm a creator and I'm a storyteller. Like at the end of the day, that's what I love is creating, whether that's a business or it's an article, a book, like whatever. I like, I just like creating, but this, and again, this is a time and seasons type thing. Like we're at a point in our life where we have established ourselves as people who are capable of achieving and putting and like completing the projects that we put ourselves to when you're young and you don't have that track record yet, like it, the, the big mistake I see a lot of young people making is that they're spreading too thin between too many things and they're not finishing anything. Like if you're not finishing the projects that you put in front of yourself because you have too many things going on simultaneously, that's a problem. You need to have the ability to finish things. And for us, like I didn't just start from day one with like a million things on my plate. Like it was, okay, here's one thing. Let's build the systems around that so that somebody else can take that thing and run it. And now I just, it requires a sliver of my attention to maintain and move on to the next thing. And you start to build that capacity. But I think you got to be really careful in the early days, especially if you're, you're a young, hungry entrepreneur. You're like, I want to build all these different things. It's like, okay, that's cool. And you can, there's a great saying that you can do anything that you want, but not everything. And that's especially true when you're young, you know, just be patient and recognize that with time and capacity and competency, you can do all those things, but it probably won't be all at once. Right. And we've all been laser focused within different avenues, right? It's like, Hey, we've kind of understood this. And and even today, you know, I, I see myself, I'm like, Hey, I'm not focusing enough on this part of my business or this part of what, what I want to accomplish because you know, most things, if you're not putting focus on it, you're not going to get the results that, that you ultimately want. And um, so no, absolutely. So well, I kind of want to get into a little bit the, your cash flow stack. So I know that you know you've got income streams from coming all in from all different sources. So we've got W two, ten ninety nine consulting, business, and passive. So where's the majority of your income coming in now? So the majority is coming in from a split of the manufacturing company, which I've taken more of a passive role in at this point, just an advisory capacity. And that's a function of having the right people on the team that can run the thing. 
and then the real estate. The real estate is, is is very lucrative. There's a lot of money to be made there if you are doing the work. And again, this is one of the things I think a lot of people lose sight of is they they think that passive investing, and I love passive investing. Like we bring in passive investors into our deals, but they think that's going to be the way that they're going to get rich. And it's probably not going to be the way that you get rich and unless you already have a lot of money. And if you want to be a capital raiser, that's great, but it's probably going to take a very long time for that to become a meaningful part of your, your income stream. So for me, the two main ones are income coming from my businesses generally, and then a little bit of residual income still coming in from, from books, which is always nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Multiple streams, the more the merrier. So, well, let's wrap up with the contrarian three-pack here. So is there an investment that stands out in your mind that was maybe a little bit more contrarian than than any others? I think the investment that I made going into that very first business of the the window washing business, like that's super contrarian in the sense that like I knew nothing about build, building businesses at that point. That was a really wild out there bet and it ended up paying off really well for reasons that had nothing to do with good judgment at the beginning. It was just Oh yeah, let's do this thing. It happened to work. Um, utilized our skill set and our network to perfection, but that was more through luck than genius. Well, and I think that's so important about things that we take on, right? You know, what are, what what can we learn from them? You know, it doesn't have to be in the moment as far as the the benefit we get from it, but ultimately, you know, we can learn and, and be educated from it. So we did talk a lot about business. I know you said rock climbing, but what are some of your favorite activities outside of of business? I would say the big ones, these, I'm playing a lot of tennis these days. I'm climbing less and less because I'm getting older and I'm not as good as I used to be. So that's hard on the ego, but I'm playing a lot of tennis. I play a lot of chess. I read a lot. Reading is like my happy place. So, uh, you know, some people like to watch Netflix. I like to read. I know I'm getting pretty boring in my old age too. You know, we don't even watch TV <laughs> yeah. at night really anymore. We're both just like, you know, checking some stuff on spreadsheets or, you know, analyzing <laughs> things or looking through different stuff. So yeah, we're, we're a real real joy, uh, me and my wife. So exciting times yeah, over there. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so what offers you the most fulfillment in life? Creating. I think the act of like bringing something into reality that previously wasn't there is the coolest thing. I think for so many people, they find so much fulfillment in, in parenthood and having children because for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's one of the very first things that they've ever truly created out of nothing where they're like, wow, look at this thing. And it's, it's one of the most complex things that you could build another human. Right. But you can get that feeling for me, at least in so many different ways of like, write this book, build this business, like creating something is like the, the highest fulfillment for me. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why so many people struggle without having actual ownership over something, right? Be it a business or whatever. When you have mm -hmm. a career, it's great and you've built it, but ultimately it's not yours. Somebody has some semblance of control or, uh, you know, or can kind of puppeteer above that. So, all right, man. Well, this has been super fun. Appreciate you joining me. What's the best way the audience can get in touch with you out there? So you can find me over at InvictusMultifamily.com or AnthonyVicino.com. And we got a book coming out next month for all you contrarians that want to learn about passive investing. Like I said, it's not the way to get rich. It's probably not going to get you financially free on its own, but it's a really great investment vehicle. And if you're interested in learning more about that, uh, you can find that at the at ThePassiveInvestingBook.com. Nice. You got to check out the book and then obviously check out his hyper-focus course when that comes out here in short order. So AnthonyVicino.com as always, brother. Appreciate it. Until appreciate next time. It. Live Thanks, fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.